The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. The top four remains the same in the latest college football playoff rankings. Coaching contract extensions come, and what about Clemson? Are they being overlooked? This is the College Game Day podcast. For Wednesday, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving, we wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. So, Pete, the top four in the college football playoff rankings stay exactly the same. What they did over the weekend was the closest margin of victory in the history of the playoff for weeks in which the top four teams have been perfect. They won by a grand total of 26 points. Wasn't too bothered by it. LSU ranked one spot ahead of USC, so a two-loss team uh, threatening and on the doorstep of being able to get into the playoff if LSU could win the SEC. Did you have any uh, any big reaction to the rankings that you saw? Yeah, my big reaction, Reese, was my pride in you trying to use a crowbar to get a decent answer out of Boo Corrigan. <laughs> and he said to you, the Latin translation was, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> In other words, you <laughs> you very the, the the lingering tension of this weekend is obviously if the loser of the Buckeyes and the Wolverines, two verse three in the big house, both 11 and 0, uh, undefeated first time meeting since 06, if the loser gets in the game. I and mean, that is the biggest question hanging over the sport. And you certainly recognize the moment and, uh, you know, challenged Boo Corrigan to a follow up. And he gave you the Heisman, you know, two weeks <laughs> before the ceremony. So well, and I, I understand both sides. Journalistically, you did absolutely the right thing in asking the question America wanted to know. And if I'm boo, I'm not putting my horses on any, I'm not putting my money on any horses right now. So he bites me later. So it was a, it was an amusing back and forth. So yeah, I, it, I enjoyed that. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is I always, I, I, because I've done this every year of the playoff, I know what they're up against and the stock answer they always give you that I tried to uh, navigate around was that we don't look forward. So I, you know, they, there's no way you could just ask him about the losers. So you have to find a way to ask him how they evaluated them up to this point and what they could withstand or something of that nature. Because they'll, the two things that, that will trip you up because it's just normal conversation to talk about uh, conferences. And you have to word it in such a way where you ask about schedules because they'll they'll fall back on that. We don't evaluate conferences. We evaluate each individual team and they will never project. And you understand that because it can, as, as you rightly said, it could paint them in the corner. But I think it's really obvious, um, at least to me, barring a bunch of teams losing and melting down and, and Michigan being the only remaining choice should it lose Saturday. Michigan is in not is not in a good place to be able to lose the game and still have a strong case. Ohio Ohio State's case would be stronger in the event that they lost a close game to Michigan on Saturday. I agree with that completely, Reese, and I think that Ohio State's case with a loss gets even stronger if Notre Dame upsets USC. Um, it, that would be a dual power because it would knock USC out of the conversation. Um, completely. 
And it would add to the credibility of uh, of Ohio State's non-conference schedule. If they were to lose to Michigan, then obviously they wouldn't go to the Big Ten title game. And, uh, you know, they, they, they'd lack that. But I... I I do. It's it's hard to just say it's going to be like white hat, black hat, right? Like mm-hmm. Ohio State loses, they're in Michigan because you know, right. there's and this is what we, we get so caught up in the playoff and absolutes and then chaos unfolds every week. And it's sort of this pattern of like, there's no chance USC's in the playoff. USC is a favorite to go, to play, you know, like it's just, yeah. uh, it, but it makes the sport great, right? Ir- irrational reactions and, uh, and, and, and such. But, um, yeah, I really do think that the, the you know look this is going to be the most watched game of the year this weekend. Game day is going to be there. We're we're fired up for uh, you know it'll be the best three hours for us this season. Um, you know, there's no better content than undefeated, undefeated, century old rivals with the stakes being high, a historic tinge with this, with you know the playoff evolving and changing, and the Big Ten you know divisions evolving and changing. So. It's just there is a like a little bit of a, this. It, it, I've covered a bunch of these games over the years. They're always special. I mean, every time you can watch Ohio State, Michigan, it's special. But I do feel like there's an aura around this game that makes it like a once a decade special, or maybe even generationally special. So um, a lot of eyes will be on this game, and I really think that the tenor of how it unfolds will go. And I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about this game today, Reese. Uh, I have a breakdown on ESPN.com and I talked to 15 coaches and scouts about it. None of them think anyone's going to blow anybody out. Let's be honest, Mm -hmm. right? Like this Mm -hmm. is special teams, field goal, run game, you know, one possession, uh, the weather's going to be a factor. It's going to be all that. So um, yeah, the the, the playoff stakes are just uh, one of many uh, subplots in what's going to be one of the, one of the juiciest games that, uh, that I really think I've ever covered. Yeah. It's it's one of the things that I want to capture early in the show, maybe even in the scene set, what you alluded to. And the thing that's running through my mind is that we may never come this way again with Ohio State and Michigan. You say, oh, you know, it's hyperbole. You're overreacting to this. But here's what I mean. This is the fourth time that these two teams have met with perfect records. There's one more un- undefeated versus undefeated, but Michigan had a couple of ties in 70. Three, I think, off the top of my head, um, that may be wrong, and I'm sure that the Buckeyes will tell me if uh, if it is. But the the point being is that it's rare enough in these circumstances that you have the high stakes games. But you mentioned the Big Ten changing divisions. The playoff is going to expand potentially in two years, and whereas Ohio State has had to live with that loss in Ann Arbor for just shy of 365 days. Uh, Michigan's getting ripped off by a week, just the way the calendars fall and are right in that neighborhood. It could be that in future years that the bragging rights for the regular season game last six days until you play seven days later in the Big Ten championship game. And then maybe that would last nearly a month until you potentially meet again in the playoff. So to, un- to capture what this means, and this is really the epitome of what you and I've talked about a few times on this podcast, that the winner take all stakes or the winner at least taking most and maybe all, some of that is about to be lost. And I don't want to s- sit there and bemoan the fact that it's being lost. On Saturday morning, I want to celebrate that for what it is. Two yeah. great old rivals with a high stakes, potentially season-making versus season-devastating game for on one day that everybody will have to live with for a year. And it it's it's fantastic. It's nerve-wracking 
if you're on either side of it, both as a player, coach, or a fan. But for those of us who are just watching, it's it's spectacular. So the 30 for 30 will be called the last great regular season game. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have another one somewhere in the next yeah. year or two. And who's you know, the Midwestern we'll have- Wright Thompson who can do the voiceover? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan we'll have- Day was not born on third base. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there will still be great regular season games. I'm not trying yes, to say that. Course. I'm just saying that yeah. by definition, the stakes are going to be different. And if you yes. don't have divisions, then the, how many years is it going to be? They're going to turn around and play again. Now we say that and maybe it won't happen because you know that's how these things go. Here's an interesting little philosophical twinge to that. These teams have always met, you know, late November this weekend, oh. I think. Like this game, if this game was played on September 18th, it would like like my body clock would go off. Yeah. Like it would just yeah. be the weirdest thing ever. And I saw Gene Smith said publicly this week that he hopes that the date stays, you know, in the the, the final weekend of the year and that just feels right. I don't know. Do you think that changes? Like how I, do you- I, I don't think so. I hope not. We need to hold on to some tradition. Oh. Now I know in the state of Oklahoma, Bedlam's important, but it's not Michigan and Ohio State in the grand scheme of things. And and they've sort of messed with Bedlam a little bit by moving by moving it a week early because they were worried about them rematching. I think you I think you just play it, play it on the traditional day. And if you rematch, you rematch, you know, because I mean yeah. there'll be there'll be plenty of years. There there'll be plenty of years that you don't. Some years it's gonna kind of stink. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. some years when when that does happen or I don't know if stinks the right word because it could just be two great games. It, it could diminish what the regular season means, particularly if you have a situation where both have already clinched a spot in the Big Ten championship game and both for all practical purpose Ooh. would have a spot in yeah. the playoff. You know, that could really that could really give it a late season NFL feel to it that, you know, we really could do without. I'll give you the quick bedlam comp here. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan has won 59 games. Uh, Ohio State has won 51, and there's been six ties. So you would say that's generally fairly even for a century of people playing football. Mm-hmm. Old bedlam is uh, 91 to 19. Yeah, um, <laughs> Sooners over Cowboys. So it's just, just again, I am not going to discount in the state of Oklahoma how important bedlam is. Just like I would never discount the Civil War or whatever they're calling it now in Oregon or the Egg Bowl. I mean, in those communities, that this weekend is actually what makes college football great. We talk a lot on this podcast about what makes college football great and we love about it, but there is nothing better than just relentless rivalries after rivalry after rivalry, just unfolding. And you've got the split marriages and you've got the families divided. And I mean, that to me, you, you know, Patriots Jets just doesn't touch that as a rivalry, um, if that makes sense. It's uh, it's just one of the best parts of the sport as uh, as it unfolds this weekend. But the unique part of Ohio State, Michigan, is it's that type of searing rivalry, but the stakes often transcend to national. And, and, you know, there's been few meetings, if any, that have higher stakes nationally than this one. Oh, and nobody has met more often as top five opponents. And we are recording this podcast. So it's going to be, it's going to be too late, but the Ohio state fans can, and the Michigan fans cannot bother to tweet. Uh, The 73 game I mentioned finished in a tie. 
it was 75 that both came un- unbeaten, but Michigan uh, was like 8-0-2, I guess. Or anyway, anyway, they had two ties, but they were unbeaten. So so there you go. So there's the, the cleanup on aisle four for that one. You mentioned talking to coaches, and this was a, a tremendous piece, both, uh, both your written word on ESPN.com and the way you helped us fashion and and formatted the piece that we did before the Tennessee Georgia game on game day which took quotes from from coaches who knew both teams outlined strengths and weaknesses where he, where they thought particular advantages might lie and then our guys react to it whether they agree disagree uh they can illustrate it with videotape whatever it is and we're going to do that again Saturday on game day you did the legwork on this by talking to all of these all of these coaches who were involved what was what was something that you discovered that maybe surprised you or you didn't expect to hear in preparation for this game i'll give one on each side to be balanced and fair to our rivalry we're discussing here so we obviously know michigan has a good offensive line all right that's not breaking news they won the joe moore award last year they may be better this year with uh big olu coming in at center from uh Olu Olu Atimi. I know you're a big uh, enunciator, so I just want to make sure I, I, I land the plane on that for you, Reese. Um, he, he's the starting center who was an excellent player at Virginia, and he came and has, has melded in and really is their best NFL prospect on that line and has really elevated it some. What was surprising to me was that the reverence in which coach after coach spoke about that offensive line in terms of how it played together. It it brought back the uh, Brett Bielma borderline erotic uh, quote mm-hmm. from, uh, mm-hmm. from, from, a, from a post game back in Fayetteville uh, many moons ago. <laughs> then these coaches started talking about the sum being greater than the parts and how they ran inside zone and the symmetry and how well precise and well coached they were and just how the whole unit rose together like i was blown away because i obviously knew and if you watch michigan they clearly have a good offensive line blake quorum special mm-hmm. one thing they said actually is that he's small and for he kind of hides behind some of those dudes so he can be hard for linebackers to find and then all of a sudden he's gone um but that was really the coach after coach uh that was really the hallmark of this michigan team was the synchronization of that offensive line. I think that's the right word. So, and one of the cool things about the segment when we did it for Tennessee, Georgia, other than me still getting trolled on Twitter because somebody said that Tennessee was going to score 50 was not like you said it, you know, (laughs) was how, yes, was how uh, you guys brought it alive, right? Like you guys were able to take on the, on the, on the Zotron, you were able to take the clips and David Pollock was able to show what the coaches were saying. I thought that was like a really powerful way to get that across. So I'm excited for that for Saturday. And I have a feeling that somebody's going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. as uh, as the guy they want to illuminate. So on the Ohio State side, again, not breaking news that Marvin Harrison Jr. is good, elite, et cetera. What was interesting, we've, we've hinted at it on the podcast a little bit here, was a scout gave me an interesting argument of why he could end up as the number one pick in the draft next year. Now, will he be number one? Probably not. Caleb Williams, Drake May. I mean, those guys are, those guys are, you know, fashioning themselves to be uh luck RG three type, you know, quarterback mm-hmm. draft year. But that said, the, the, the point of the argument that I thought was very interesting was because the passing game has really uh, just ushered itself to the forefront in football. Remember when the Bengals took Jamar Chase, everyone went, oh my God, the Bengals took Jamar Chase. Like Mm -hmm. this is the Bengals being the Bengals, right? It's like their worst pick since they took Pollock in the first round. Um, And uh, that was a joke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But 
really, they took Jamar Chase and went to the Super Bowl. And Jamison Williams is injured and he went 12. So the you know, just like we had a recalibration of running backs falling in value, um, this scout predicted we have a recalibration of receivers increasing in value. So if you have a quarterback, you don't hesitate to take Marvin Harrison in the top three. Whereas 10 years ago, if you took a receiver in the top three, everyone would say you're nuts. But um, not only is he elite, until last week, he may have had a drop against Maryland on like a attempt at a circus catch. But yeah. I was told he did not have a drop all year. He's done unbelievable circus catches. And he's like the most respected guy in the building in terms of work ethic, everything. So he's, again, there's no perfect prospects, but as a receiver, he's shaping up to be a guy who could be a top three type pick, or maybe even the first pick in the draft, which was, which was pretty cool to hear those scouts really consistently go through, especially the parts where how respected he was by the coaches and the strength coaches. You know, the, uh, on the subject of the drops, I know the play you're talking about because, uh, you know, Joe and Greg, I'm pretty sure Joe and Greg called that game. Joe Tessitore and Greg McElroy do, do a fabulous job. And that they were talking about, you know, I, I that may go down as a drop. And I was like, well, that's not even fair because, I mean, when you think drop, you think of one you probably should have caught you think of the tcu tailback yeah. and the two-point conversion that's yeah. a drop <laughs> and i'll even i'll even go a little farther you know some tough catches something that that was near humanly impossible that he yes. almost uh almost somehow caught but got his hands on it and didn't finish it i i hope they didn't give him one on that because that was yeah. uh yeah, he's he's just been he's just been spectacular uh and amazing i ran i ran across this you know, the last time Michigan won in Columbus was 2000. Do you know what the head coach of the Buckeyes was doing the last time Michigan won in Columbus? So Ryan Day and I are about the same age, yeah. a little bit older. So my guess would be he was the starting quarterback for the UNH Wildcats. That's exactly right. Under the direction of his offensive coordinator, Chip Kelly. Yes, yes. And we should not forget Sean McDonald, who just retired, who uh, started a, a coaching farm up there in Durham, New Hampshire. I actually took a trip to Durham once to do a story on Chip at, when he was the OC at Oregon. So it was way back in the day. Sean McDonald, one of the best humans in all of football that I've met. And uh, it, it was startling being in Austin Stadium one week and then being in Durham the next week where they have a got milk is like their big thing, not a swoosh. Like it's a little, little bit different there. Um can I tell my favorite Ohio State Michigan rivalry story? Please do. So, uh, one of my favorite stories I did while working at Sports Illustrated. Remember that they, they have that "Where Are They Now?" issue. Mm -hmm. So I went and spent like two days with Drew Henson, who was a baseball uh, yeah. scout at the time. I think he might be an NFL scout now. Anyway, Drew Henson, wonderful guy, relentlessly interesting, and I'd never scouted a baseball game. So we we went to like Clearwater, or Tampa, somewhere down there. Metro. We had lunch. Great interview was was reflected on reflective on uh, you know his football baseball careers. The great Drew Henson stat is that he has one hit and one touchdown pass for his entire career in in major like that is the statistical probability of that happening is just you know one in infinite right. But Drew Henson's best season of baseball came in Columbus, and he had beaten Ohio State as the Michigan quarterback. And he told me every, and to use her words, effing time he went to the plate for the entire season. It might have even been two years. He got booed 
by fans in Columbus, even though he was playing for the for Columbus. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> he played for Michigan yeah. every single time. He's like, it got old. It got really old. I'd walk up in the middle of July and be like, really? My third at bat? You're booing me? <laughs> that you is know, petty, Reese. That is the petty we admire. We we like the petty in the rivalries. And he was the starting quarterback in that game yes. I mentioned the last time they won there. So oh, how about it was that? The, they won in the um, in the back-to-back. The last time they won back-to-back um, against, against uh, the Buckeyes, it was Brady, 99, and Henson in 2000. How about that? Yeah. So the, the Brady was, uh, that was my senior college. Um, and Syracuse went to the big house. It, well, it would have been 98. Syracuse went to the big house and just dump trucked Michigan with Donovan McNabb. I mean, they thumped him. and Brady got booed and they brought in Drew Henson in the place. It was like that moment of hope. So it's kind of funny, small world now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a little different, but I think Tom Brady has a little more than one touchdown pass. So yeah, yeah, just uh, <laughs> j- just a few more, just a few more. Although he has more game-winning uh, Super Bowl touchdown passes than Drew yes. Henson had NFL touchdown. Yeah, passes. let's so, not. Yeah, you know, we we probably ought not compare investments right now with uh, with him and others. But uh, yeah, but I digress yeah. into something that is not the subject matter of of this podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So if Blake Corum is not 100% or can't go, I mean, I really feel like, I mean, Donovan Edwards has also also been hurt. That changes everything for Michigan because Ohio State's found another bat, maybe not as dynamic as, you know, as Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson if they can't go. But, you know, I, I think that if Michigan doesn't have their guy, then this idea that they're going to use that offensive line, they're going to run the inside zone. Um, you know, the most difficult play a lot of coaches will tell you to run in the running game and run it consistently. But you need you need Corum and his experience and and running the right track and finding the holes and and slipping through tackles and all the things that he does so exceptionally well. I think it's going to be really almost impossible for Michigan Michigan to control the game. Um, without him and certainly without the two of them. Would you agree with that? I would. And I think every coach I talked to about a path. So 10 of the coaches and scouts picked Ohio State, five picked Michigan. I thought that was more that picked Michigan than I would have thought. Again, it's mm-hmm. a seven and a half point favorites on the road, right? They haven't mm-hmm. won there in, you know, in two decades. So I, I thought that was it. But every path was 
control the game, grind the clock. And people were really, really high on Michigan special teams. Now it's funny. I did most of these interviews before last week. So Jake Moody again reminds us, you know, that he's one of the elite kickers we have in college football. And then people call the Ohio State special teams passive. Of course, Lathan Ransom blocks a punt that changes the game. And he blocks a punt for the second year in a row. Now, it was the first time Ohio State uh, against Indiana. It was the first time they blocked a punt since 2019. So they do not inherently ha- put pressure on you on special teams where the coaches were adamant that Michigan does. But I, I think, too, Reese, you mentioned the injuries. Mike Morris didn't play last week, who's mm-hmm. Michigan's top edge rusher. Schoonmaker, the tight end, who's really like a sixth appendage, um, like a sixth offensive lineman. Uh, scouts really liked him. I did not think, you know, some of scouts even said, hey, he could fly into the first round. Like they really thought because he has down downfield playing ability and also is a, is a bruising blocker, he's kind of a rare dub. Um, and I know he was good, but I, I didn't think of him as, you know, first round, second, you know, certainly first two day prospect. Um, so there'll be again, this is this is more for, for me than anyone else. But with Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, uh, Trevor Keegan, one of their guards didn't play against Illinois. Like there's just a lot like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of lingering variables here that makes it hard to talk about this game. in absolutes just like Mayan Williams. Obviously, we don't know his status. There was some optimism there. But we won't know till this week. And then obviously Trevion Henderson played against Maryland, but he did not look like Trevion Henderson. Uh, he had four negative carries. He just didn't didn't look like himself. So, um, yeah, but I don't think Michigan is going to win this game if J.J. McCarthy has to, uh, you know, drop back 42 times and, and try to pick Ohio State apart. I just don't think that's how it is. I think they need to methodically squeeze the life out of the Buckeye offense, starting with the run game. I think that, uh, that McCarthy's going to be a really good college quarterback, maybe more than that, uh, um, at some point, but I don't think that point is here yet. Um, passing the ball, but he's a really good athlete and maybe a little more with the stakes being so high, maybe a little more, uh, or even more JJ McCarthy run on Saturday will be something that that they use and and as it pertains to Ohio State's uh, running back situation, I mean Dallin Hayden was was terrific it was against Maryland, a little different uh, than doing it against Michigan, but certainly he had to gain some confidence if he is the guy who is called upon for the bulk of the carries on Saturday. I mean he's um, you know he had three touchdowns, 143 yards. First guy with a hundred yards rushing in the second half, um, you know, since Henderson did it last year. And I know they'd love to have their two big guys, but the freshman, you know, the freshman has shown that he can carry, he can carry his weight in the backfield for uh, for Ohio State. Yeah, and and I think the the most promising thing about Hayden's performance was not only it gives him another option, or maybe even an option, right? Mm-hmm. But but also. He was very, he ran slippery. I thought that was the best way to describe him. Um, He had no negative carries and really was just able to, Ohio State's going to have a hard time winning this game if they can't run the ball. Now, they have a talented offensive line. It was interesting. All the coaches and scouts, nobody thought Michigan's O-line was more talented than Ohio State's. You've got, obviously, Dewan Jones, who's a Sequoia, right, at 6'8", 363. you got Paris Johnson, who Mel Kuyper has as a top 10 pick. Um, you know, you have five linemen who are all probably going to get drafted, but there was just not that same synchronization. Now, people were very clear to note that they improved with Justin Fry being hired uh, from Greg Stuara. Like, there was, there was noticeable uptick, but it was not to the same level. And some of that, I think, is like, 
Ohio State's an outside zone team. They don't pride themselves on like the sort of tough physical interior runs because they're they're just more of a spread team. And quite frankly, they have dudes who can scoot on the outside. So it probably behooves them to run that way. So obviously your run game is going to be structured around your talent. Um, but the this cannot be one of these like Ryan Day tries to score 60 games. I think it has to be, there has to be some semblance of balance, which their whole offseason overhaul, bringing in Jim Knowles, um, you know, putting an onus on uh, competitive stamina, which I think was their like kind of new age version of toughness. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think a lot of this was geared towards this game. And, and I really think it is a referendum on on all those things. Because if, if you go out and lose by two touchdowns again, and you, you know, they run... They run a 300 burger down your throat on the ground and average seven plus yards of carry. All, all that is probably going to be remembered as empty rhetoric. So that, that I think that's why the stakes are pretty fascinating here in a lot of ways, because Ohio State literally re-engineered their entire program to stop the run in this game, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to be better in this game. So um, in that story, there's some fun ESPN stats and info stats of like mm-hmm. how Knowles has got them better, pressuring the quarterback, like getting pressure. They're number two in the country. Stopping runs under five yards, they went from the 60s to like the 30s. Like, so there's there's a ton of cool, tangible evidence of how much better. And quite frankly, I think they went from 59th to 9th in total defense, right? So that, that pesky old analytic yards, um, they, they allow less of them now. But I, I think a lot of that progress will will not be remembered if uh, if if they don't have one more point on the scoreboard at the uh, shoe on Saturday. And they responded and Michigan now this is kind of what Harbaugh's always wanted to do or has always done when he was you know at Stanford and then early in the days in Michigan but they seem to come to the realization that they're not going to necessarily go out there and start beating Ohio State for all of these recruits so they were going to find a different way and it's it's very reminiscent of what Jim did at Stanford to compete with USC and and ultimately passed them when every year you would come back and you would think, okay, well, at least until SC got bad, but you would think, okay, they're going to get them this year. And then they, then they really didn't. And, you know, so they, they're going to try to, they're going to try to bully them. They're going to believe that they are the stronger team mentally, that they are the, uh, the superheroes and adding a little uh, dash of spice to this is I don't think that, uh, Jim and Ryan Day will be uh, will be vacationing together on the New Hampshire shore or maybe uh somewhere in the upper peninsula in the off season necessarily. There that that's not really going to be a situation that occurs, is it? It is not. Uh so there's actually some game day chatter on emails and texts today about uh you know trying to prepare and set the stakes for the show, right? And nothing sets the tone for a rivalry better than I wouldn't even say it was a shot because that makes it sound like it was a jab. I mean, mm-hmm. Harbaugh, when he won last year, took a haymaker right at Ryan Day. It, <laughs> yeah. it, it is something yeah. that actually cut right to the core um, by saying essentially he was, you know, born on third base without hitting a triple, meaning Urban Meyer handed him, you know, a mm-hmm. Lamborghini and he just kept driving it. Yeah. Um, now, I would think, especially when you look at this team, Ryan Day's recruited every one of these guys. Um, you know, there might be an odd 50 year alignment or something like that. But, you know, when you talk about CJ Stroud, Travion Henderson, uh, JT Tulamoa, did I get that right? Yep. Tulamoa. Okay. Tulamoa. Um, mm-hmm. When you, when you look at the Tulamoa, Marvin Harrison Jr., when you look at these, this is Ryan Day's program now, mm-hmm. and it is, it is humming along just fine. But Ryan Day comes from, uh, 
you know, pretty, pretty modest background in New Hampshire. Uh, when he was nine, his dad died of suicide and he's, you know, he's a blue collar guy and a blue collar kid. He prides himself on that. So, um, knowing him a bit, I, I've not like, we haven't had like Ryan Day isn't the kind of guy have a deep philosophical discussion about something like that, but like just, just knowing his DNA and, and who he is and where he's from that stung, And that is the kind of thing that is, uh, <laughs> Is is going to drive him drive the program? Ryan Day is one of the most competitive people I've been around. He is like viscerally competitive, and so I will uh, I will be curious to see how that manifests itself. But it certainly set a uh, a a delicious tone. Usually Harbaugh is like pretty defiantly boring too. You know what I mean? He didn't say he didn't he didn't drop a whole lot of those. Right? This is this isn't Lane Kiffin. So yeah. it was interesting that he decided to to do that after quite frankly getting manhandled for three straight years, and then it was the COVID year. And but, you know, when he does, they're interesting because, you know, he he had the comment when Urban was there that where wherever Urban goes, controversy follows. Um, You know, he's I think he has a raised question about uh, how much on field instruction was going on during the offseason at Ohio State. You know, so when he does say something, um, you know, then there was the famous, you know, what's your deal? What's your deal with Pete Carroll? Mm -hmm. Um, So when he does, it usually sticks. You know, there are a couple things there that stuck out to me about what you said. It, It was a haymaker that Harbaugh threw at him about the third base thing. But it is true that he was handed the keys to the Lamborghini. But what people don't realize is that it is it takes a huge talent not to run the Lamborghini off the cliff. You know, I mean, we've seen that happen plenty of times. And, you know, Ryan Day, it is his program and he is an elite coach and he's capable of, you know, winning national championships and building programs. You know, it's one of the it's one of the things to be fair that I said about Lincoln Riley when he took the USC mm-hmm. job was that he was handed a really good program. He drove the Lamborghini beautifully. Now let's see if he can go mm-hmm. to the garage and build one. Well, he ordered a, a whole bunch of parts and, and put together a really good one. Ryan Day Amazon of, Prime too because of the yeah program. yes yes he did get him immediately. And, you know, Ryan has been able to do it through recruiting. Lincoln did it through the transfer portal. He'll eventually do it uh, with a combination of both, I'm sure. And I think the game that uh, Riley's Trojans have with Notre Dame on Saturday night, there there are, there are similarities in terms of stylistically how the two teams want to play. With Notre Dame and USC that you see in Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan needs to be physical, run the ball, control the tempo. Uh, Notre Dame hopes to do the same thing against USC and maybe throw the ball to the tight end a lot, not just because they have Michael Mayer, but because in USC's only loss this year, they gave up 16 catches to the tight end, um, Dalton Kincaid of Utah. So I, I think there's some similarities stylistically in whether you're going to see a Michigan win or if you're going to see a Notre Dame upset in USC in terms of how the game needs to be played. Yeah, and I think in in the same realm. Now, now there's not a lot of diamondism uh in Notre Dame's past game. Uh and other than other than Mayer, who's going to get like triple teamed. Um, although USC hasn't been able to stop very many people. So it'll be pretty interesting to uh be pretty interesting to see what they do to Mayer. Um but the the goal of Notre Dame, much like the goal of Michigan, is to take the keep the ball out of the hands of the guy who's going to be one of the top two quarterbacks picked in the NFL draft in their draft year. You know, Caleb Williams is either going to be the first or second 
CJ Stroud or Bryce Young is going to be the first or the second in this draft. So you need to rely heavily on your run game. Uh, one of the cool things about Notre Dame this year is they brought back Harry Heastan, the old O-line coach, and they have two huge, massive, young, talented offensive tackles, Alt and Blake Fishers. And uh, they were not ready to start the season. They, they, you know, they, they played like young players at a position where it's hard to play young. Um, and they played like an experienced players. And I think that's been one of the wholesale changes is they've just grown up and matured like you do when you play 10, 11 football games um, together. Uh, and I think that they've been able to to carve an identity through that Notre Dame run game. And if if they can do that against a, against the USC defense that hasn't been able to stop anybody, run, pass, boat, moat, like they said, you know. They have been USC's defense has been as porous as advertised, but credit Alex Grinch, they figured out a way to have one more than everybody but Utah. So it well, will they be take, interesting. They take the ball away, or they take it when you yes. give it away. That's the yes. one thing they do defensively. Yes, they will let you. They will if, if they don't turn you over, they will let you score to turn you over <laughs> because that, <laughs> that's pretty much how it's gone. Uh, uh, you can uh, you can stop me if I've well, no, you can't because we're on a podcast, but. Uh, if I've told you this story before when Spurrier was at Florida and he had Bobby Pruitt, the later, the Marshall head coach as his defensive coordinator, they went to Ole Miss when Tuberville was there in the throes of NCAA sanctions, uh, completely, you know, outman team and, and Tuberville was trying to, you know, run the ball and slow the game down and control it, keep Florida's offense off the field. So they start the second half and, you know, they're, Ole Miss is moving the ball in there. You know, they get third and three, they convert on, you know, first down, second down, third and two, convert again, third and six. Oh, they threw a pass. They got seven, you know, so now the clock's going tick, 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 tick. It's, you know, dwindling away third quarter and the Gators haven't touched the ball. And so Spurrier walks up to Pruitt once, doesn't say anything, turns around, walks away. Now they've eaten up like over half the third quarter. They're still just at about the Florida 30 or 35 or something like this. And Pruitt told me this story years ago. And Spurrier walks up to him again, doesn't do anything. More time runs off the clock. They get down to about the 25 and Spurrier walks up to him the third time. And according to Pruitt, and if Spurrier's listening to this, he'll call me and tell me how I'm wrong on some detail on this. But according to him, Pruitt said to him, or, or Spurrier said to Pruitt, Bobby, Bobby, either get the ball back or let him score because I got some ball plays that are going to work. And uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's that's how Lincoln Riley probably is sometimes. Either either get the ball or let him score because I've got ball plays with Caleb Williams that are going to work. Yeah, that's a great story. And that is sort of how football's evolved in some ways too, where the, the high-octane offenses almost want – defenses that can force two turnovers a game because they feel like that's going to be as much of a difference maker as, you know, grinding out a couple punts here and there, um, or you just get it back and go score again. You know, I, I think that's how football has changed in the last 15 years in some ways. We're going to see some great stars in that Notre Dame USC game on cool. Saturday night. Caleb Williams, Michael Mayer, best in game brought to you by old dominion freight line, helping the world keep promises. I need to qualify this at the beginning by saying that even though I don't think Clemson is great, I thought there was no way that Notre Dame had enough to beat Clemson, and they stomped them. SC's way better than Clemson on offense. They're not even the same universe as Clemson on offense. 
I just I just having a hard time seeing how Notre Dame wins the game. But I mean, I guess I could think back to that Oregon State game or something like that. They, you know, Oregon State slowed them down, uh, but they, you know, they had the home crowd on their side and stuff. But do you feel that way? I have a hard time. I, I know, I know the formula: run the ball, throw it to Mayer, control the ball, maybe get a turnover here or there, try to frustrate Caleb. You know, all of that. And I just think at some point you have to have some firepower if you're going to beat them. Or you have to have a defense that is going to, you know, sack Williams, get him on the ground, get a bunch of negative plays. And I just don't know that I see that from Notre Dame. It's interesting that the line is only five and a half. It is. I know. Yeah. Now, Vegas has been pretty skeptical of USC this year. Yeah. Um, It was a tiny line in that Oregon State game, if you remember. Yeah. and, and look, maybe rightfully so, right? Um, I, I am too. I mean, just yeah, to be no, honest, sure. I am sure. too, but yeah. it's just, it's hard to see this one for some reason. It, it is hard to see this one because there's no, like, we, we, I don't think we picked the game right, but we correctly predicted the tenor of USC and UCLA with our friend Bill Connolly last Friday. You know, mm-hmm. Bill very dryly said, there are not any defensive statistics that make you think that they'll either team will stop the other or something right, like something right. very dry and analytical like that. He was yeah. actually very very accurate as Bill usually is with his uh, with his analysis. And uh, I I do think that I wish there was Notre Dame had a little bit more of a dynamic pass rush because I think you need to rattle Caleb I and mean, Caleb William made some throws on the run against UCLA that were just silly. You know, like you fall off the side of your couch. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, look at that. Look at that. Like he, you know, he, he's one of my favorite players in college football. Um, he, he could be my, my equivalent of your Drake may quarterback man crush. I just like, there's a smoothness <laughs> to Caleb Williams. Yeah. Um, you know, and do you think he could end up in New York Reese? Yeah. For the Heisman? Yeah, no, I think he could. If I had to vote right now, I think I might have said this Monday. I would vote for Max Duggan right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but but Caleb's right on his heels. Mm-hmm. It's it's right it's right there, yeah. and both of them are going to have opportunities on pretty big stages. I would oh, yeah. argue perhaps Caleb's two stages are going to be bigger because mm-hmm. he's got Notre Dame and primetime, a really good Notre Dame yeah. team. Whereas TCU plays, uh, you know, Iowa State, who who will do the two things that Iowa State does. They will play the game close and they will lose the game Saturday. So, I mean, and it will not be aesthetically pleasing. It will not be. No, (laughs) it it will not be. But uh, those are the those are the two leaders. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if Corum plays and certainly Stroud, if he you know goes off against Michigan, there it's still kind of open. But I absolutely, I don't only think he could be in New York. I think Caleb could win it. Um, I th- think there's yeah. a, a real chance he could win. It. Stomping Notre Dame has fueled many a Heisman candidacy over the years, and if he does, and I'm not saying he will, but if he, you know, if he hangs a 400 burger on him, like that's you know going to be a lot of eyeballs when the uh, when the Trojans and the Irish play. Uh, old friend Bino Cook used to say, "You'll win the Heisman either by playing Notre Dame or playing against Notre Dame." So Caleb will have that opportunity yes. on on Saturday. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
got your happy price, price line. You've been breaking news. We've got coaching contract extensions uh, going on. You got you had Lance Leipold right before we started doing the po- podcast. Yes. So I think, uh, you know, we, we were lucky enough to go to Lawrence uh, for their first ever game day in October, which I think was like the best crowd we had at game day this year. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, w- I don't know that they were the, the wildest crowd, but they were probably the biggest when you, yeah, it was just like the fact most you're going up daunting the top of the hill. Crowd. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were just going and going and it was, yeah. Anyway, we, um, we got to see a little bit of like, Oh, Kansas will embrace football and, uh, Travis Goff and Doug Gerard, the chancellor and, and, and others at Kansas have, have seen the same thing. Um, we had some sources tell us tonight at ESPN that they have now ripped Lance Leipold was only making like $2.3 million this year, which is like SEC coordinator money. Yeah. They ripped up his deal. They gave him a new one. They extended him out to 2029. And they basically uh, took a can of off to those pests in Madison and in Lincoln and said, no, 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 you're not coming to get Lance. He's uh, he has resuscitated us back to relevancy and we are not going to lose him. So credit to Kansas for being proactive Credit to Kansas. They, they they announced when we were there for game day a three hundred million dollar stadium refurbishing project. That stadium's one hundred three years old, and it doesn't look ninety five years old. It looks all one hundred three of them. So um, they needed a they needed a facelift there. So um, if you are going to continue to be an athletic department juggernaut, which Kansas is because of their national championship winning basketball program, you need to have viable and vibrant football. Mm-hmm. And by investing in Lance like they have, by by investing in facilities like they're clearly behind some of the Big 12 peers, I think Kansas is in positioned to be a factor in the Big 12, which just quite frankly, the 15-year period between Mangino and now, which was, if I can go off the top of my head, Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, David Beatty, and then Les Miles. Um, which is uh, which is a lot of miles of bad coaching road in Lawrence. Uh, they found a guy and they committed to keep him, and and uh, that's uh, that's what we uh, that's what we broke uh, that's what we broke tonight. So we also broke that Curtis Rourke, uh, Ohio University's quarterback, who was going to win the MAC Player of the Year, and I hope he still does. Uh, injured his knee and he's out for the rest of the year. So Ohio is actually playing right now uh, as we tape this podcast for a spot in the MAC title game. So just a bummer that uh, you know I think. Ohio U was three and nine last year, and they're eight and they were eight and three heading into tonight. They are winning thirty-one to seven, so we will see Ohio play the Toledo Rockets for the MAC title. But it was a bummer for Curtis Rourke. He just had no, a hell of a season. Yeah, you you hate to see you hate yeah. to see that. We saw it with Hendon Hooker on Saturday night, mm-hmm. and now and now Rourke. I want to go back to the to this coaching news. I, I look, I know you're on top of all of this, but you know Lane Kiffin. Uh, called a meeting with his players on Tuesday night to, um, you know, he's sort of like the sort of, was it Kevin Bacon in Animal House who just kept yelling all is well, or or maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was one of the other uh, bad guy fraternities. But to tell his players that his focus was only on Mississippi State and nothing else and that rumors of him accepting another offer were totally false. He kind of, you know, went after uh, this guy at WCBI TV in Columbus, Mississippi, on Twitter about saying that uh, after the Egg Bowl that he was going to take the Auburn job. So, and and by the way, WCBI TV, where uh, as a as a youngster, I won a bicycle from that TV station. But anyway, um, I digress. So they can't be they can't be all bad. But you know, 
this says to me that whether he does or doesn't, it's percolating to the point that he had to tell the players something, which doesn't necessarily bode well for the Egg Bowl, one wouldn't think. You know, I mean, at, at least that, that's the way that's the way I read it. And the other thing is all of these so-called denials aren't really denials. They're I haven't accepted it. I haven't talked. And we all know how that kind of language gets danced around all the time in these in these coaching searches. So I'd keep an eye on Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You know, and I, it's hard to evaluate the culture there. Maybe they'll go out and just ball out. uh you know, in support of him or uh, say, well, if this is it, if this is the last dance, we're going to we're going to go out with a bang or maybe they get disillusioned. I mean, you you never know how uh, how players are going to react to something like that when things are swirling about and and how much he might have calmed things as you know, if they, in fact, needed to be calmed. But, you know, that the reports are out there that he had a meeting with the players and and at least addressed it. Yes. Uh, Auburn gymnast Suni Lee, one of the great American gymnasts uh, who, who uh, played collegiately at Auburn, uh, would appreciate the semantical gymnastics that go on this time of year <laughs> because there <laughs> are certainly great analogy. There are certainly uh, there's certainly some language uh, things things stretched. And, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that Lane Kiffin remains the favorite for the Auburn job. But I will say this. There are two very unpredictable variables involved here lane kiffin and auburn <laughs> those are not two linear entities <laughs> team kiffin and team war eagle so uh would it shock me if uh you know a week from today we're we're talking about lane kiffin being the armored coach it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me it wouldn't shock anybody right no. um now i do like i know how much the egg bowl means to people in mississippi i've covered egg bowls like i bet i've spent a bunch of time on both campuses there you hate that you know, for the biggest game of the year in the state of Mississippi, that something like this is 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 lingering over it, and he felt compelled to tell his tell his team that. But uh, in the yeah, the report that came out was a uh, let's just say took some took some liberties. Uh, wasn't exactly a Woodward and Bernstein job. Um, but like, look, it's there's there's a there's a likelihood that you know. Kiffin's a favorite there. I, I think I don't think anybody's. I don't think that's that comes as a comes as a surprise to anyone. Um, no. So we shall see how uh, how it unfolds. But uh, that is uh, Lane Kiffin trolling the reporter on Twitter uh, was both predictable and delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and, and most coaches just get mad at you know something, and instead he goes that way. But if he takes the job and he takes it on Friday. Well, then he's gonna then he's gonna have to own it and apologize to the guy. You know? Yeah, I don't I mean that seems a little quick. Well, he's not going to, but he, yes. yeah. Yeah. You know, there's one devout Auburn fan in my house hmm. who, who's that who is, uh my <laughs> wife. Who, I know yeah, she went to Auburn and she and and she's all in on Cadillac. And interesting. And in interesting. fact, she's not the only one. Um, he has Cadillac Williams has unified that fan base. Now it's a, it's a stretch because there are things that happen in an interim that we've seen on a couple of occasions with, Oh, let's say Ed Ogeron. Um, and so you have to make a wise choice. And I'm not saying that the car 
personnel is not a wise choice. There's not a lot of experience there. But the one thing Auburn has needed in its fractured state, even at the end of the Malzahn era, is someone to pull them together and in the in the same direction. And Cadillac has the support of the players. I think they are going to play their tails off Saturday in Tuscaloosa. And there's some around Tuscaloosa that are very worried about that too. That uh that the that the intensity that will come from Cadillac's team will not be matched by a some by a somewhat saying the right things but somewhat disillusioned uh group in Tuscaloosa over their um over their playoff fate. So yeah. uh, that should that happen. I mean, the unpredictable factor of Auburn really comes into play there if if they haven't made a call, if it's not on Friday, if they're still waiting, and then Auburn wins in Tuscaloosa uh, with Cadillac Williams as the head coach, then things change. Yeah, I, I wanna they get, probably I wanna shouldn't this change. Cadillac but movement, they, they do, huh? Yeah, I want to get behind this Cadillac movement because he's been unbelievable. He's just been this Agreed. lightning bolt, complete yeah. surprise. I just can't get out of the back of my mind how badly he bungled the clock management at the end of the Mississippi State game when he was icing the kicker with 32 seconds left instead of like saving that for his own. I, I just like, yeah. again, he's an inexperienced coach and does that. But that's just, that's probably the most I've watched of Auburn. So, you know, I didn't watch much of the Western Kentucky game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, since then, so that like that's, you know, your, your impression is your impression, right? Um, right. Yeah. But, you know, happy for that fan base, obviously, that has had to deal with bad leadership and boogeyman boosters and all this stuff that one of their own comes and takes a lost season, right? It was not a stretch in August. Like if you, if there were Vegas odds on whose season was going to be just lost in the wilderness, Auburn would have been even money and pulled it out from that dangling bull eligibility. Just it, I was really happy to, uh, to see that, uh, that, that look so much of college, sports fandom is nostalgia, right? So when one of your own and one of your own that you value and love the most comes back and delivers the place you love to greatness, there's just a, there's just a collision, a powerful collision. Um, Is it, is it built for the long-term boy? Auburn's a hard job, man. It's shoot up and spit out some good coaches. So yeah, I I, I don't see it happening, but I do think the conversation takes on a completely different tenor. If uh, if if old, if Cadillac topples old Nick Saban, yeah, I mean, I think I think so too. I still suspect that that won't be the direction Auburn goes. Maybe if you know, maybe if he were five years down the road in you know in his coaching career, you know, with a little bit more experience, just being a coach, he hasn't been a coach at all that that long. Um, you know, then maybe it's a little bit different. The thing is. I suspect they'll, I mean, Lane's the front runner. That's who I anticipate getting the job, whether it's Lane or whether it's Hugh Freeze. um, Either of those. Who, by the way, are 0 and 4 in their last two games. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Either one of those would would quickly, I think, unify the fan base, even, even those who are supportive of Cadillac taking over. Full time. Yeah. I think it'd be I hard to not hire Cadillac if you're the if you're the in making the associate head coach. Oh, absolutely, coach. Right. I, I think that's like, yeah, you know, yeah. The running well, back coach at Ole Miss right now is like, oh man. <laughs> no, hey, no, I'm no. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. Here's 
here's what Nick Saban or Kirby Smart should do Ooh. when, you know, if he doesn't get the job, they should try to hire him. Mm. The, the two yeah. biggest rivals, they should go try to hire him and, and mm-hmm. you know, make him associate yeah. head coach. No, you know, it's all, yeah. all's fair in that. Where, yeah. where is we've had, we've had the, the lightning bolt, you know, South Carolina last week, knocking Tennessee out of the, out of the playoff picture completely. If you had to pick a lightning bolt Saturday, where would it be? I had to pick a lightning bolt on Saturday. Let me look at the schedule here. Um, well, you've got Iowa State, TCU. You know, Ohio State, Michigan wouldn't be it. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech, Georgia, or South Carolina again against Clemson, or Texas A and M, LSU, for that matter. Yeah, I, I, I ain't yeah, giving any yeah. oxygen to that. Well, <laughs> yeah. it won't have the stakes, but I think I think Oregon State. I read is one yep. ten of eleven in the Civil War at Reeser. Um, I that don't don't use that on the show, um, oh, but oh, I thought we'll I saw. I thought I saw that this that. week. Yeah, Marissa yeah. would. Yeah, Marissa Dowling, our ace researcher, who's a who's a magician uh, for us on game day. Um, that would be, you know, if I had my lightning candidates, I'll take the Beavers and I'll take the Irish. Just somebody really? knows something. Somebody knows something. That's they they do. So what's the what's the best trophy? What's the best right? What's your favorite rivalry trophy? That's a good question. Um, it would have to be one of those. I, I don't have one off the top of my head. What about um, Paul Bunyan's axe? Oh, that's you good. Know, they, I'll take that. They run in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. They run and get it, and they try to uh, they fake chopping down the goalpost. That's a pretty good one. I've been to the world's largest Paul Bunyan statue in, uh, I believe it's in Minnesota. So How big, how like, big is it? It's a roadside. I want to say it might be in Shakopee, Minnesota. Oh, okay. I I know I know what you I know what you said because I I just looked up the Oregon State thing. I misunderstood what you said. You're saying they've won ten of their last eleven overall games at Reeser. I thought you were saying I was like that doesn't ring true about they won ten of the last eleven meetings with uh, with Oregon. But you mean just at winning home. games at home, winning Correct. home games, at yeah, home. with yes. with the lone loss being to SC. Um, this year yes that that is correct you, yes. you saw that correctly yeah yes uh that's my fault if i didn't uh no 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 you didn't that was that was me not hearing it properly i'm sure yeah so, so there's four um four large paul it's akeley minnesota one of the paul bunyan statue i've been to but there's also one in bangor maine uh there's one in bemidji minnesota and then there's one in Kalamath, california which i believe is actually the uh which is actually the longest. So um, I will take, yeah, I, I enjoy a Bunyan-esque statue. What's yours, Reese? Uh, it's, it's uh, well, my favorite trophy is the $5 bits of broken chair because sure. it's just so absurd. But it, no, it's, it's the Paul Bunyan axe because okay. for what, when I was working in the studio, I was in the studio the day that Reese Lloyd kicked that field goal and they hadn't had the axe in a hundred years or, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it was a long time. And he, he ran over and grabbed the thing, you know, and that was, uh, that was, would you remembered his name if it was Bill Lloyd and not Reese? Well, I would have, because he was an Englishman, I believe. Uh, I believe I, he, I, now that you say this, this is starting to ring a faint bell in my mind. So. You, you remember, you remember him? Yes. Yes. It, I just remember like the story, you know what I mean? The British guy, you know, like, yeah, he was, yeah, was, outsider he was kick, the yeah, yeah, kicker from Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, went over there, kicked the game winning field goal. You know, Minnesota hadn't been, 
hadn't been great. You know, Wisconsin's kind of a, you know, had it really going under Alvarez there and they won the game mm-hmm. and he went over and got it. It was a you know great memorable moment in that rivalry. Yeah. No, uh, no doubt. Old Oak and Bucket, you into that one? So I'm not a I'm not a trophy guy. Like I like why not? I, was, I mean, you're you're college football is the nostalgia. I it's the I know. I just like I don't, I don't I don't have a trophy. I did like there's yeah, it's I, I enjoy the ridiculousness of them. I just yeah. don't have a and if I I enjoy the overall like just chicanery that comes with them, but I don't have like a uh, I don't have a preferred one. In the Big Ten, it's like one every week. It's hard to keep track, you know. That, that's true. Like I'd forgotten I wonder if they until- have a commissioner for trophies. It's like, <laughs> Like the old brass spittoon was last week, Ooh. I think, with Michigan State and Indiana. I think that's right. Yeah, so. that's like a big studio host thing. Like, if you're in the studio, you want to get that trophy like uh, talked up a little bit. Um, and plus, in a lot of these Big Ten games, the trophies are more interesting than the game themselves. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that could that could well be true. Uh, <laughs> that could well be true for the axe on uh, on on Saturday for sure. Bet the under. Uh, bet bet the under, and we'll we'll try to get some picks right in the race for the ribeye on Friday. Um, good job breaking stories. Really looking forward to what we're going to do on game day with your piece with the coaches' uh, inside scoops and and our guys' reaction to it with some tape and so forth. So um, I, I appreciate you doing the podcast. We're doing it at night and not awakening young Teddy. So hopefully he slept yeah. through all of this. I had to keep my uh, I had to keep my inside voice on. So no, I think Saturday is going to be awesome. I mean, a full coda for me in my first year game day. We start in Columbus, obviously week one um, with Ryan Day famously telling me to breathe after my first hit because I think I, I spit every every word in two syllables. Uh, so hopefully, uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll rain, little elements maybe um, affecting us on uh, and on Saturday. Affect us, and what remains to be seen whether it's going to affect Ohio State. I think mean, school of thought that the worse the weather, the better it is for the for the yeah. school from Ann Arbor. So lines dropping, lines yeah. dropping. Is it Maybe really? It went oh, eight. It. So I started to write my story the other day. It was eight and a half, and I checked when I filed it today, and it was seven and a half. So oh. we're we're Tuesday night. Um, and I started on Sunday night. So yeah, some uh, money coming in on the boys from Ann Arbor. The people no. who were convicted on Michigan were convicted. Um, they, the coaches. So yeah, I know you're um, not, you're not going to give away any sources. Generally speaking, the people convicted on Michigan were they kind of old school guys. I think that's fair, right? Like okay. the the, the yeah. argument for is physicality, toughness, special teams, complementary football. You know, yeah. it, all acknowledging that Ohio State has more talent. So, plus people do these; they like to be a little counterintuitive. Let's be honest. You know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to you want to sound like the smartest guy. You want to yeah. be the guy who yes. had the had the right yes. angle. Special yes. teams. Special teams is a good one because historically, mm-hmm. you know, 97 Woodson, 91 Desmond with the big punt returns that mm-hmm. uh, ended up leading the Wolverines. I want to say the JT Barrett game, there was a blocked punt. There was. Um, Chris Olave blocked it. I Chris Olave as a freshman. That was the first time I'd ever heard his name. Yeah. Yeah. He was wearing a different number back then, too. I, I think he had changed numbers or something that week, too. Mm-hmm. So it was. It, yeah, but I remember Olave worked Washington. out okay that, for old Chris Olave, didn't it? Yeah, things have things have gone well for him. Pete, we will talk on Friday, man. Always fun. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We'll make some picks on Friday. We'll have to put our money where our mouths are on Michigan and Ohio State on SC Notre Dame. It's all coming up then. You can download the podcast wherever it is that you like to listen to the podcast. See you on Friday. <laughs>